somebody willing to get up before dawn, milk cows, work all day in the fields, milk cows again, eat supper, then go to town and stay past midnight at a meeting of the school board. So God made a farmer. My administration will be focused on three very important words. Jobs, jobs, jobs. This man must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We, the citizens of America, are now joined in a great national effort to rebuild our country and restore its promise for all of our people. Because today, we are not merely transferring power from one administration to another, or from one party to another. But we are transferring power from Washington, D.C., and giving it back to you, the people. Hold on to your seats. Buckle up for safety. You are now entering another dimension with The Scott Adams Show. That's right. My name is Scott Adams. You're listening to The Scott Adams Show, and we're going to continue with our CIA series on The Scott Adams Show because there's just a lot more information that we wanted to share, uh, we want to share with you, um, because it's so important. Um, A couple of the takeaways that we need to remind ourselves about is that we are private citizens, which means that we should have the utmost privacy— And we pay taxes so that public servants can give us the services that we need, that we agree to pay for. And I don't believe that that involves overseas wars unless it directly benefits us. I think uh, the United States and America. I don't think that means open borders. I don't think that means putting uh, illegal immigrants up in hotels and spending millions and millions upon millions of dollars. I mean, you know, it was Donald Trump at some point that couldn't even get the money to build a wall. And we found out that all the people that had been saying that they would build a wall, um, but they just didn't have the power of the White House, all of a sudden dropped the ball. Paul Ryan comes to mind, people like that. Our government's lying to us. And they're keeping everything classified and secret so that they can have a monopoly on the shenanigans that they're pulling. Whether it be the Biden crime family selling state secrets that only they have access to because everything's classified. And if you touch my documents, you'll go to jail. But if I touch my documents and, and put them in a garage with a Corvette, well, then. That's a whole different story. Nobody's going to jail for that. Nobody's going to jail for Epstein. Nobody's going to jail for assassinations. You can go to Vince Foster with the Clinton Arkansas. You can go to the assassinations from the 60s, which is where we're going to go today. And nobody seems to be held accountable. Everybody's just shot dead or, or found dead with no cameras working in a prison cell like Jeffrey Epstein. 
You know, I'd like to see that list of Johns that were working with the underage minors and, uh, you know, acting as pedophiles. And they're even trying to normalize that. Even at the World Economic Forum this year, they, they did that. They tried to wrestle with that idea, trans storytelling and all these other things. This is what you get when you have a shadow government run by think tankers and libtards coming from these fancy universities that really don't know which way is up or they wouldn't know how to uh, make a payroll to save their lives like many across the country have done for decades and centuries. So we're going to start this um, insight into this CIA uh, shadow government, the State Department, the CIA, using USAID, headed up by the most monstrous of people, the most corrupt people, and their shady characters that can't be trusted. And we're at a place now where we cannot trust our government. And it's the reason why, say, the JFK assassination that involved directly the CIA and that Oswald was CIA and Ruth Payne was CIA and Michael Payne, her husband, was CIA. And even Stefan Halper was CIA that connects all the way up to the Trump administration. And all these leader, so-called leaders with classified or uh, classifications to where they have access to things you don't. Like the Clintons, like the Obamas, like the Bushes. And the whole Bush family was CIA. This shadow government that's, you know, making assassination attempts on Ronald Reagan. It's been going on and on, throwing coups, waging coups against President Nixon, <clears throat> which is what the Watergate thing was all about. That was a that was a deep state spook coup against a very popular president and President Richard Nixon. Won by the biggest majority of popular vote and electoral vote than any other president in history since or before or since. So we have to ask the question about why is it that we can't find the truth to our public servants and how can we make these changes so that we could actually see the truth, so that we could hit the reset button and get paper ballots and rig the uh, and uh, derig or you know have election integrity, get away with these mail-in ballots, get away with um, the ballot harvesting, and get away with all this corruption, get away with get away from open borders, this invasion on our country, and really harness in how our tax dollars are being spent. They should not be spent in endless wars around the world. It should be spent on our military strength, our veterans, our infrastructure. And we need to get the reset on this. And then we need to control, uh, we need to get a better handle on the mockingbird media that's answering to the DI. This the deep state, and that's what we need to do.
There's a lot we need to do to make things right. We need honor and integrity. Maybe that comes from term limits. Maybe that comes from limiting money, uh, foreign influences on our own elections. There's bigger outside shells that you can address that could fix these problems long term. There are solutions to the problems. And we need to start focusing on these, really putting pen to paper and figuring out how it is that we can block the George Soroses of the world and the World Economic Forums of the world from meddling in our own constitutional structures that give us our freedoms and our, our pursuit of happiness and our justice. We got to get rid of the outside influence because apparently, and it's true, we have a very you know we have the capacity to have a very corrupt government. We've had one since at least before Kennedy, and we know that now. And it's exactly why it is that all these documents remain sealed, and that the CIA, who killed Kennedy, who was involved got involved in the coup to Watergate, and actually participated in the Russian hoax that ultimately. Uh, went toward impeachment of President Trump. The CIA, the FBI, and our deep state are run by a bunch of corrupt criminals that are a bunch of Ivy Leaguers that think they're smart, but they're stupid because they're spitting on one of the best constitutions money could buy which is the UN, United States Constitution, they're spitting all over it. And they're turning their backs on religion. What would God do? And they're not answering that call. They're doing the worst things. Even, uh, you know, I can get into some other stuff, but right now, I want to play this clip. This is a clip uh, by Brianna Joy Gray, came out in response to Tucker's uh, piece that we played for you. And I um, I want you to hear this. This was a very powerful open as well. Then we got another piece from uh, Glenn Greenwald uh, that's going to be pretty nice. And then we got a couple of other surprises. Uh, so George DeMore and Field, uh, DeMore and Shield, uh, we're going to play some stuff about him. As well, because too often when people talk about the CIA and JFK and Martin Luther King and and our, you know, um, Robert Kennedy and everything, they they talk about these conspiracy theories. Oswald did do it. Oswald did it. Came from the grassy knoll, came from the south knoll over by the bridges, all these different things. But that gets lost in the shuffle. That's just a distraction. Because. We'll never know the answers to all those questions unless we had really great imagery. And even the Saperta film, we don't have the greatest of imagery. And you have all these different opinions. Whether the shots came from the front or the back, those are all for different different segments. That's not where I want to go with this. What I want to go with is our systematic government approach to waging coups against our own country. And how we can stop it. And who are the players? Uh, Because what I'm trying to do is make the case that the CIA, one way or the other, no matter how you slice it, 
was directly involved. And so Brianna Joy Gray naturally asks the question, did the CIA kill JFK? Well, did the CIA kill JFK? It's a question on millions of minds following last Thursday's release of thousands of JFK assassination records. More than 13,000 documents were released by Biden, but 3% of records remain redacted. And the disclosure of over 4,400 documents has been delayed by the Biden administration. Now, under the 1992 John F. Kennedy Assassination Records Collection Act, which Biden voted for as a senator, all documents related to the assassination were supposed to be released by 2017. Donald Trump was the first president to violate this obligation, releasing only a partial batch back in 2017. Why? Well, reportedly, he was under extreme pressure from his CIA director, Mike Pompeo, not to release the remaining documents. According to reporting at the time, releasing the full trove of documents would be, quote, infuriating to people at the CIA and elsewhere who are determined to keep at least some of the information secret. Now, after Biden's impartial disclosure, more and more people are asking, what is there to hide? Biden is justifying his non-disclosure under an exception to the 1992 JFK Records Act, namely to protect against an identifiable harm to the military defense, intelligence operations, law enforcement, or the conduct of foreign relations. But Kennedy's murder was nearly 60 years ago. It's difficult to imagine which intelligence officers out in the field or what geopolitical arrangements might be damaged by new revelations about the slain president. But the language of the act itself is revealing. Documents may may be kept from disclosure to protect intelligence operations, perhaps more specifically, to protect those intelligence operations from criticism. And given the lack of confidence the conservative public now has in these deep state institutions following the Twitter files disclosures and the Trump investigation, it's no wonder Biden might not be eager to add fuel to the fire. Now, Tucker Carlson tackled this issue in a monologue last week that already has over a million views. In it, he purported to have proof that the CIA was, in fact, involved in Kennedy's murder. Let's take a listen. We spoke to someone who had access to these still-hidden CIA documents, a person who was deeply familiar with what they contain. We asked this person directly, did the CIA have a hand in the murder of John F. Kennedy, an American president? And here's the reply we received verbatim, quote, the answer is yes. I believe they were involved. It's a whole different country from what we thought it was. It's all fake. It's hard to imagine a more jarring response than that. Again, this is not a, quote, conspiracy theorist that we spoke to, not even close. This is someone with direct knowledge of the information that once again is being withheld from the American public. And the answer we received was unequivocal. Yes, the CIA was involved in the assassination of the president. Now, it might just be my lawyer brain, but I believe they were involved is far from the conclusive proof I was expecting. Moreover, I have concerns about relying on an unidentified source for such bombshell conclusions, especially when crucial documents that might, in fact, provide conclusive evidence are still in the wind. But Tucker Carlson raised some legitimately important issues in this segment, including interrogating the weirdness of JFK's assassin being immediately assassinated himself and the fact that the term conspiracy theory was coined to cast doubt on those who doubted the official reports 
on Kennedy's death. Interesting stuff. He also was right in one other important area, giving credit to the left for recognizing that the FBI and CIA are are anti-democratic entities long before the right, back when conservatives considered it to be something like a patriotic duty to protect those institutions. Take a listen. You've laid it out really well. And, you know, it used to be that conservatives like me dismissed uh, theories from the left about JFK's assassination as just left-wing conspiracy theories. But over time... Uh, I think that the left looks as if they were quite justified in not trusting yes. the intelligence services. And I think the WMD pretext for the Iraq war was a red pill, a slowly dawning red pill for me. Mm. Remember, leftists, not liberals, but leftists, have been highly critical of the FBI and CIA since FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover dedicated 85 percent of its illegal covert intelligence resources toward attacking left groups like the NAACP, Vietnam protesters, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, the Black Panther Party, Puerto Rican independence movements, and the American Indian Movement. A mere 15% of the FBI's energy went toward far-right targets like the Ku Klux Klan. During the McCarthy era, the FBI used a variety of illegal practices in pursuit of alleged communists, which is a political identification, I'll remind you, that is totally legal. (laughs) They burglarized, illegally opened mail, and set wiretaps. The National Lawyers Guild, one of the few legal organizations willing to stick their neck out and defend communists, was broken into at least 14 times by the FBI over a period of about four years. They also drugged and extrajudicially murdered Fred Hampton. That's no conspiracy theory. That's fact. And many believe the FBI and or CIA were involved in the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. as well. The traditional conservative posture of indifference to this stuff until it hurts them and their interests is exactly how these agencies have amassed the unchecked power they have now. It's quite literally a case of Martin Niemöller's excuse me, famous poem, first they came for the socialists and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. And then they came for the trade unionists and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. And then they came for the Jews and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me and there was no one left to speak for me. Now, here we are. Will there be a sustained bipartisan criticism of the FBI and CIA? If proof that the CIA murdered one of America's most beloved presidents doesn't do the trick, what will? Now, this matters because the deep state's corruption is ongoing. See Twitter Files Part 8. The Intercept just reported yesterday evening that Twitter... Uh, uh, that Twitter, a private company, remember, um, protected the Pentagon's social media misinformation network. The military used accounts that concealed their affiliation with the Pentagon to manipulate public media perceptions, and Twitter helped. Here's the story. Reporter Lee Fong, my former colleague at The Intercept, was allowed to make document requests of Twitter over the course of three days last week. And look at what he found. In 2017, a U.S. Central Command official named Nathaniel Collar emailed a Twitter representative with a request to approve the verification of an account and whitelist a list of Arab language accounts that they, quote, used to amplify certain messages. Now, as annoying as celebrity blue checks can be, deep state blue checks are a whole other ballgame. Collar went on to write that, quote, 
a few of these had built a real following, complaining that some of these bots weren't indexing on hashtags and speculating that they might have been flagged as bots. So Central Command called the manager over some of its fake news accounts being flagged as bots when, in fact, they were inauthentic accounts. I mean, this is incredible stuff. What were those accounts tweeting about? Well, some were promoting U.S.-supported militias in Syria and anti-Iran messages in Iraq. And how did Twitter respond? The same day the government made its request, quote, Twitter's site integrity team went into an internal company system used for managing the reach of various users and applied a special exception tag. Nice to know that while authentic left-leaning accounts were getting shadow banned, the government's bots got special Twitter exemptions. Now, you should read Fong's full account at The Intercept and learn about how Twitter profiles with deep fake photos were used to shape public opinion about the military's role overseas and Twitter's role in concealing all of it. You should also keep in mind that the national intelligence budget It's nearly $90 billion this year, 70% of which went to defense contractors, according to a 2007 report. While our politicians complain about not being able to raise the minimum wage or extend the child tax credit, pointing to migrants at the border as the source of all of your problems, they're funding the deep state with impunity to harass, prosecute, and even murder activists, civil rights icons, and maybe even presidents. And sometimes they even get the public sector, Twitter, to give them an assist. Well, and you know, I, I disagree with her depiction of where the KKK comes from because, you know, Antifa, for example, wears masks um, and so did the KKK. And the KKK was founded by the left. And if you go back to the 60s, you know, and there was no big switch that they were talking about in terms of Republicans and Democrats shifting in the South. That was all BS. And um, that the, uh, the 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 best party, the party that was invented to abolish slavery, was the Republican Party. So, um, this woman that you just heard, Brianna Joy Gray from the Intercept, which is a left wing organization, but still, I thought that her piece was good. Um, she was doing that piece for the Hill. The Hill is a another political publication that's tries to call themselves moderate, and I guess they would be considered, but they lean left. Um, in any case, um, I thought that was that that brought in nicely some contemporaneous things like Twitter files and why it would be a PR disaster to out the CIA right now. Um, but we, we probably should, and I, I would, if I was president or... If I was uh, Secretary of State or CIA director, I would I would want to hit the reset button and clean house. And hopefully uh, Trump gets to, to be president again and he doesn't make the same mistakes he made with, say, Pompeo, who just blocked that uh, left and right. Um, but, you know, these powers can overthrow and assassinate presidents at will. We've already seen that. So if you want to live and you want your children to live, you'll do whatever is necessary. You don't know what coercion is going on behind the scenes. That's my my point. So Glenn Greenwald had a really good piece. He talked about the privacy and public sectors and why they should be 
uh, flipped in reverse. Uh, basically, that uh, the public has more, the public sector has more privacy than the private sector has, which has none. And he's made his complaints about that. He also did really great exposés with Eric uh, uh, Edward Snowden. And also with WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange. Um, so he got his chops from doing a lot of really good work in that area. Um, but let's take a, take a listen to what he has to say about this new book. Was that the reason they initiated that second impeachment against him, even though he was leaving office and there was no reason to do it, it would never have... And there he's talking about Trump, so let's continue. ...gotten him out of office was it was because it was a sword of Damocles over his head to control him. Because Republicans in the Senate, Marco Rubio and Lindsey Graham, the kind that serve the national security state, were petrified and angry that Trump was even considering pardoning people like Julian Assange and Edward Snowden and basically said to him, if you do that, we will vote to convict you and you will never be able to run again. But what they were also worried about was not just the pardons of Assange and Snowden, but also the fact that Trump was very likely to declassify all of these documents he had been vowing to for years. And he left office without doing so, and I regard that as one of the main reasons why. Now, there is a book about the CIA and the post-World War II history of the U.S. national security state that I cannot recommend highly enough. The book is by David Talbot, who I know because he was a founder of Salon. Um, I ended up writing at Salon. The book is entitled The Devil's Chessboard, Alan Dulles, the CIA, and the Rise of America's Secret Government. And it tells the story of how we ended up with this permanent power faction in Washington, the intelligence community that operates completely in the dark, without any democratic accountability, and with complete secrecy, to the point where they continue to keep secret the truth about what happened in one of America's most important historical events, the assassination of our president, because they simply want to, and there's nobody that has the power, evidently, to force them to abide by the law. This book, along with a second book I will recommend to you by Vincent Bevins, the journalist Vincent Bevins, called The Jakarta Method, that talks about what the CIA has been doing in secret since the end of World War II, tells the story of why this is such a menacing and insidious agency. But how are we not out in the streets furious? How are we not out in the book furious, in the streets furious that the CIA just refuses to reveal these documents that we have the right to see when the law requires them to do so? JFK's uh, nephew, uh, Robert Kennedy Jr., the son, the son of JFK's brother, Robert Kennedy, who also was assassinated, um, posted this week a tweet about a segment Tucker Carlson did on the CIA, and he wrote, quote, the most courageous newscast in 60 years, the CIA's murder of my uncle, the CIA's murder of my uncle was a successful coup d'etat from which our democracy has never recovered. As I said, Alan Dulles, I talked about this last night, was probably the second or third most powerful person in Washington, maybe the most powerful in the 1950s, when he ran the CIA until John Kennedy fired him in 1961 because he blamed Dulles for the failed fiasco in the Bay of Pigs invasion in Cuba. And Dulles had every reason in the world to want to kill Kennedy, as did a lot of people in the CIA. But here, let me show you part of 
what Tucker Carlson said about why under the Trump administration these documents were not released despite the law requiring that they should be and despite Trump's repeated promises to do so. And there he gets into Mike Pompeo. uh, And so we've already heard that. But uh, there it is. And Alan Dulles, Alan Dulles was dating uh, Michael Payne's, uh, Ruth Payne and Michael Payne, their mother, one of their mothers, uh, on which side, I think it was the Payne side, it was uh, Michael Payne's grandmother, maybe. Okay, it could be, I think that's what it could have been. Our mother or grandmother. Uh, oh, no, no, what it, here, here it is. Here's the story. So Michael Payne's mother's best friend was dating Alan Dulles, a mistress to Alan Dulles. And so <clears throat> when they would go to the Forbes Island, the New Shan Islands off the coast of Martha's Vineyard, they would hang out with Alan Dulles all the time including the year of the assassination. And that, again, Ruth Payne and Michael Payne's family was directly connected to the CIA, as was George DeMorenshield. So let's take a listen to this clip here. One of the oddest things about Ruth and Michael Payne is their association with George DeMorenshelt and Alan Dulles. Mrs. Payne, how did you first become acquainted with the Oswald? I met them through uh, friends at a party last winter. This is how, essentially, Oswald was introduced to the Paynes, was through George DeMorenshelt. Almost right after they were introduced, DeMore and Shout stepped aside and went to Haiti, and Ruth and Michael Payne now became the Oswalds' best friends. And then uh, saw more of Marina later. I was interested in talking with her because uh, I was trying to learn the language. Ruth Payne seems to have been determined to separate off Marina from Lee from almost the moment they met. And her excuse for this was she wanted to learn Russian from Marina. The problem with her wanting to learn Russian is she was already a Russian instructor, speaking fluent Russian. Why would any Quaker in Irving, Texas, be already fluent in Russian? But let's continue. One of the problems with this is when the FBI investigated Ruth Payne afterwards, they found out that she taught Russian at St. Mark's School for Boys. In just a matter of weeks, Ruth wrote a note inviting Marina to actually move in with her. This is just a matter of a few weeks. After this, they had the picnic with the Oswalds, and then Ruth drove Marina to New Orleans. The thing to remember about Ruth and Michael Payne is that their image in the Warren Commission volumes as friendly Texas Quakers is not really an accurate one. Both Ruth and Michael trace back to the Eastern Establishment and to the Central Intelligence Agency. Michael Payne's parents go back to the Boston Brahmins in Massachusetts. They extend all the way back to the Cabots and the Forbes families. In fact, Ruth Forbes was a close friend of Mary Bancroft. Mary Bancroft said she knew the mother of Michael Payne where Oswald stayed. Mary Bancroft was the girlfriend of Alan Dulles during World War II when she served as an OSS officer. They stayed personal friends after the war. 
Alan Dulles later on made a very interesting private joke about the critics of the Warren Commission. Dulles joked in private that the JFK conspiracy buffs would have a field day if they had known he had actually been in Dallas three weeks before the murder, that one of Mary Bancroft's childhood friends had turned out to be a landlady from Marina Oswald. Mr. Payne, did Lee Oswald's political philosophy at any time indicate to you that he may have been capable of the crime he's accused of? I was very surprised uh, when I heard that a the shot had been fired from the building in which I knew he worked. I uh, thought of him immediately, but dismissed it because it, I didn't think he was that irrational. One of the interesting things that we know about Michael Payne is that due to an FBI declassified document, he was actually making like he was a leftist communist to sympathize with Castro at Luby's restaurant right across the street from SMU in Dallas. FBI interviewed some of the students he had talked to, and one of the students picked out a picture of Michael Payne as a guy who was coming off as a Castro sympathizer. Now, why would he do something like that? Did you ever have a chance to talk about Cuban communism or Castro communism? Did he ever express any thoughts on that? He did mention that, and it was unfamiliar to me, so I didn't, uh, didn't take it out. He just happened to mention it briefly, and when it was brought to my attention, I did recall that he had said something. In Eric Tagg's book, Brush With History, which is about patrolman Buddy Waters, it's revealed that when he and a couple of other policemen went to Ruth and Michael Payne's home, they found a file cabinet full of letters, maps, records, and index cards with name of pro-Castro sympathizers. Why would they be doing that? Why would they be taking down the names of these pro-Castro sympathizers? When the FBI reviewed the case, they interviewed some of the people that Ruth visited in the summer. She took a semi-cross-country trip and then came down from Virginia to New Orleans. According to the FBI interviews, Ruth had told everyone she was going to pick up a Russian woman in New Orleans and bring her home to live with her in Irving. Once the Oswalds were formally separated, once Marina is brought back, Ruth Payne picks up their belongings, almost all of them, brings them to their home. Many of Oswald's belongings were now in her garage, and they were under her control at the time that Oswald was apprehended. And later, it was Ruth Payne and her husband, Michael, who became the source for a lot of the dubious evidence that was used to build a case against Oswald. Well, we have been watching the morning proceeding on the television and I translated to her when I heard it that she had been shot. I was crying and she was very upset. Indeed, this was our condition when uh, men came from the uh, police department in Dallas. That was the first that we had any indication that uh, her husband was associated with this tragic event. To top this off, there's the famous phone intercept on the day of the assassination Ruth and Michael have both acknowledged what happened in Dealey Plaza, and they said, we know who's responsible. The implication being that it really wasn't Oswald who was responsible. The Warren Commission knew of this phone call, but rather than determine what exactly the pains were referring to, staff counselor Wesley Liebler instead confused the official record and suggested the phone call in question occurred on Saturday the 23rd rather than Friday the 22nd. This allowed Michael Payne the opportunity to deny he ever said anything like that on Saturday.
What's on your radar, Brianna? Well, all right. So that that was that. You know, what's interesting too is uh, um, there there is a lot more connections between um, those two. I mean, she found all the evidence, and she controlled it all as well. Um, but let's take a listen to this. Um, the father, William Avery Hyde, was OSS, and then later. Uh, Agency for International. This is Ruth Payne's credentials. Uh, she was a, formerly a Hyde, and then she became a Payne when she married. Development going down to Central and South America on part of the, as part of the CIA. And then her sister's husband was also AID. And uh, a thing called the International Cooperative Alliance, which was another CIA front, that featured a guy who's going to be a future episode uh, named George DeMarchel. So George DeMornfield uh, basically connected the Paines with the Oswalds. But the Alan Dulles connection is interesting because Alan Dulles being fired by JFK and being believed to be maybe part of this uh, coup, uh, perhaps, was also connected with um, James, uh, James uh, Alred. And um, the uh, uh, the uh, CIA assassination guy that we played a clip from, and um, Aldrich is his name, and um, not not to mention the fact that uh, Alan Dulles was on the Warren Commission. It should have never been. There was a clear conflict of interest there. But that's the kind of people that were on the Warren Commission were inside insiders it, it was a fix it was like the Mueller special counsel against trump right i mean you wouldn't believe that outcome for all the rice in china uh, from poland and demarn shilton his wife uh are going to be important there's george he was oswald's handler along with his wife up until the time he turns them over the Oswalds to um, Ruth Payne and Michael Payne because George de Morinfield has to go to Haiti to oversee a political event in Haiti and deal with uh, George Bush, uh, George Bush's oil, phony oil company uh, in Haiti. Which Haiti. Is Smedley Butler. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. fun. It's, everything's is, about Haiti. I, I got to tell you, every, all roads lead to Haiti. But that's going to be in the George DeMorenschild episode, so I don't want to get into George here. Uh, mm-hmm. George has an incredibly complicated background, eventually blows his head off when he's subpoenaed by the House Assassinations Committee. Um, mm. Yeah, he gets a subpoena, and he's down in Palm Beach. And um, rather than testify the week before, he had written a letter to George, President uh, George Herbert Walker Bush, can you get me out of this? And Walker uh, Bush wrote back, sorry, my old friend, there's nothing I can do. And then he <laughs> took the shotgun, uh, put his foot on the trigger and blew his head off. But this that's is the former head of the CIA, or future head of the CIA, George H.W. Bush, that one? Yeah, the former head of the CIA at that point. He's already president. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. So um, he blows his head off. and uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. He, he's about to become CIA head. Absolutely okay. right. Sorry. He will become president. This was in uh, 77. So I think that's when DeMarn Show runs out of gas. But at this party in Dallas, 
um, he turns the Oswalds over to Ruth and Michael Payne and moves on to the next assignment. He, he actually goes, George Marshall goes to numerous um, uh, documentation of him going to the CIA in Dallas and talking to them and getting his assignment and stuff like that. He, he used to actually want to be a filmmaker, DeMora and Schilt, and he, he used that as his spy cover, making a, a video of films wherever he went. And he actually wrote movie reviews for Variety magazine, the, <laughs> which... There's some great stories there. Um, I recommend this YouTube channel called America's Untold Stories, and uh, that's what that comes from. But this this is also... Uh, a really great um, presentation about George DeMore and Field, Field. And uh, it was it was James Angleton. James Angleton um, was the CIA director I was referring to. I mispronounced his name. Um, so let's take a listen to this particular piece right here. It's very simple. What has happened in the past is that everybody's focused on Lee Harvey Oswald, hundreds and hundreds of books on Lee Harvey Oswald. And there are two pieces of evidence that pretty much clear him. I was, I, there, actually, there are a lot of pieces, but the two that I focus on is that when he's arrested by the Dallas police, he doesn't have any gunpowder nitrates on his face. Mm-hmm. And to me, if he was really aiming to kill the president through the scope, he would have been looking through the scope and r- looking right down, and he would have been he would have had nitrates on his face. And somebody does shoot, hit the curb 500 feet north of the motorcade. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. what I'm assuming, uh, there was a state shooting where DeMarshall is hang, hanging out with Oswald on April the 10th, right around that time. And Oswald allegedly shoots at this right-wing general in uh, John Bircher in Dallas. Yeah, I remember that. And Jack, both Jack Ruby and George DeMarshall said it was a state shooting. I see. And uh, uh, Ruby was offered a job with the FBI in 1960. DeMarshall, I can prove, was CIA in the 50s. Now, the the link between De Morgan Shield and Oswald. Let's uh, let's take a look at that. That's critical. Okay. How did they get to know each other, and what was their background? Well, De Morgan works for the State Department in 1957. De and his brother, I have linked to more than 60 CIA agents. Mm-hmm. Um, the founder of the CIA's Radio Liberty, which is still in existence today, merged yes, with is. Radio Free Europe, mm-hmm. was founded by Dmitry von Morgan's closest friend. Uh, writer William Henry Chamberlain for the Wall Street Journal. Mm-hmm. And uh, William Henry Chamberlain was tied to oh, uh, CIA consultants and was telling Alan Dulles how to run his Warren Commission while in 64, telling him to squash the Texas oilman theory. Well, mm-hmm. William Henry Chamberlain had no way of knowing when he died. In, he died in 69, the same year as Alan Dulles. Mm-hmm that DeMorne Shield in 1976 was going to say that wealthy Texas oilmen were behind it, which is only part of the truth, and that DeMorne Shield would end up putting a shot, uh, say that Oswald didn't do it, and that he would put a shotgun in his mouth and uh, do a final exit in Palm Beach, Florida. That was what year? Uh, 19, uh, right after his friend George Bush resigned as CIA director and after he was given nine shock, nine shock treatments, which so- I believe killed him. DeMornshield was given nine electroshock treatments? That's right. Under what pretense? Uh, the doctor that ordered it, Dr. Assad DeLoach, was a cousin to FBI uh, Cartha DeLoach, uh, Lyndon oh, yeah. Johnson's 
main man at the FBI. I remember. See, now, those of you listening, this is what I'm talking about. Everybody knows somebody or who or is married to somebody who has a first cousin who is somebody in this thing, and it's, it's just, it's, it's so wild, and it's all true. So, <laughs> I didn't mean to interrupt you, but... George no, it's, it's fine. It's, 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 I'm, uh, I'm, uh, the people, the listeners should know that I'm a genealogist, a historian, which yeah. I really get into, um, analyzing the associations. I don't convict somebody. I don't make something up. I just connect them mm-hmm. to one another. And if the piece doesn't fit, I, I don't use it or I don't force it in there to make it, try to make up something, you know, and, uh, I contacted the West Palm Beach Sheriff's Office, and I went through the court uh, to get a hold of George DeMarshall's personal phone book. And, I, and everybody that was entered in there, except that they were written in, were entered in 1954-55. I pinpointed the date that they're entered in there. And I, I did research on everybody in the book to get to know and tie them to one another and tie them into DeMornshield. You mean you got DeMornshield's DeMorn book from the police department? I did, yes. Uh, that's, that's not an easy uh, thing to do, is it? No, well, I told them that I'm, you know, that I'm a dedicated researcher and that I'd keep them posted of, of what I had uncovered. Oh, interesting. And uh, that they don't have the time. They get... DeMornshield's background, uh, his, his ancestors, he's European, uh, he comes over here, he ends up working for the CIA. At, how did he become such close friends with Oswald? Have you been able to nail that down? Well, he um, said he was, uh, he told uh, he told an, a writer, Edward J. Epstein, who met with him the day he committed suicide, that he was asked to, by the CIA, keep out tabs to interview Oswald to check him out, and also uh, through uh, James Walton Moore, the local CIA agent in Dallas. But nobody ever really knew that De- George DeMornshield worked out of a CIA trust building in Dallas which that's uh, the Republic National Bank building, which was a law firm in the building, organized JFK's motorcade route with a Secret Service. Oh, really? Yes, and that was Locke and Purnell. One of the, it's one of the largest law firms in, in Dallas, and they represent the Dallas Morning News uh, as lawyers. So right in the very opposite, uh, George... In the same uh, building. Same building. The, the building, according to the L.A. Times and the Houston Chronicle in mm-hmm. 1969, they released that the building was under a CIA trust. Interesting, very interesting. And George DeMornshield had worked out of there since 1950 to 58, but very interesting is that even though he moved out of the building in 58 and represented the State Department in 57 when he was one of the first Americans to represent the State Department, which also collaborates with the CIA, is that he goes into the communist country of Yugoslavia and meets with uh, Yugoslavian politicians but he's able to collect his mail and have a telephone in the number all the way up until 1968. Wow. All right. So what do we have by way of Oswald and DeMornshield hanging out together then over a long period of time? Do we feel that DeMornshield was running Lee Harvey Oswald, or were they equals? Well, people say that, that he, you know, they have a w- different ways of, of um, describing it. And uh, their friendship people have jumped, you know, into the white Russian community that they're helping out. But circumstantial evidence that is compelling that proves a conspiracy is in April of 63. DeMornshield is friends with Oleg and Igor Cassini. The famous uh, Oleg Cassini, the dress designer. Who was Jackie's dress designer. Jackie Kennedy's dress designer, Oleg Cassini. All right. Uh, okay. And, um, and Igor is listed in DeMornshield's phone book in 1954-55. And Igor has married Charlene Reitzman and... Bobby Kennedy was prosecuting Igor Cassini 
for failing to register on the, under the Registration Act, and I feel that Bobby Kennedy's prosecution was a little bit was hard on, on that it was overdone and it, it shouldn't have been done so uh, cruel and mean. And uh, what happened was is on April the eighth, Mrs. Igor Cassini, Charlene Reitzman, whose father C. B. Reitzman, Charles B. Reitzman of Palm Beach, had been good friends with Warren Commissioner Allen Dulles since 1932. Huh. <laughs> And Charlene committed suicide two days before the Walker shooting, when DeMorne Schill was hanging out with Oswald at the Walker shooting. Wow, so you just spun about six different webs uh, on this big uh, layout that are just already interconnected. So I'm going to back up. Jackie Kennedy's dress designer, the famous Oleg Cassini, uh, had a brother named Igor. He uh, still, they, they still have, they're both still alive. Yes. And Igor, I spoke to Igor, and he's very... A very likable guy, very nice guy, and uh, I can't emphasize that enough. And DeMorne Shield's relationship was with which one again? Well, um, I did the, the genealogical background on both, and the, the grandfather of the Cassinis, Count Arthur Cassini, was the first Russian ambassador under the Tsar to the United States. <laughs> At the same time, Ferdinand DeMorne Shield, allegedly DeMorne Shield's uncle, was the ambassador to the United States before right. the revolution. So we've got this connection. Now we have DeMornshield and Oswald. Uh, for Again, Jackie Kennedy's dress designer, Oleg, now linked to DeMornshield, who was... And Jackie, too. And Jackie, too. Now, how was that linkage, Jackie Well, Kennedy. Jackie's mother uh, dated George DeMornshield in 1938. <laughs> oh, my. And Jackie... Was honorary chairman of an crazy. organization that that Demornshield had founded in '55, and that was the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Yes. And even more chilling is that Jackie bought her clothes from Demornshield's alleged aunt by marriage clothing store, Nona McAdoo, in New York City, called Che Neon. It goes on from there, and uh, I find that just to be incredible, um, in so many ways. Um. You know, there's uh, a few other clips I want to get to. Let's see if we can get to them. Um, they're, they're, we're winding up right here, but let's take a listen to this. Yeah, there's there's a shot of him with Castro. I don't know if you have that. Let's get there to it Frank is. Yeah, that's, uh, early <coughs> no, that's Frank Sturgis with Castro. Oh, Frank Sturgis is going to come up, who's also uh, featured as Hemming's best friend. One of the plumbers um, of Watergate. This is an interesting development that, that Hemming is there because... He served as a Marine, too. Well, not only is he a Marine, he served in El Toro, California, with Oswald in 1959 and leaves in 59 to go fight with the rebels in in the mountains of uh, Cuba. Same thing Oswald said he was going to do. Hemming actually does it. And he goes down, he fights with them. I don't know how he ends up on the film footage from the Minox, but apparently he does, which is kind of interesting. Minox is a Yeah, Hemming becomes runner. best friends with a guy named uh, Frank Fiorini, um, who changes his name to Frank Sturgis. And Frank Sturgis is apparently... This is my favorite shot. Oh, that's on, the, that's on a mass grave, actually, I think. Yeah, with Batista's um, character after character who were involved. You'll hear the basic line of, oh, they were just a businessman. And they did such and such. But then as you dig into them, they have this giant, rich history. Like uh, George DeMorschelt, I don't know if I said his name right, you did a lot on him. They kind of represented him as, oh, yeah, he was just some immigrant dude and businessman. That's what they do. Um, let's take a listen to this one piece about Jolly West, if we have time. 
situations and begins to get involved in a in and and with a guy named Jack Ruby and he begins to move out in 1964 before he gets into Manson he gets into he goes to Judge Brown if you remember Judge Brown from the from the uh yeah his Jack Ruby he goes Jolly West goes to Judge Brown and says I'd like to be the psychiatrist for Jack Ruby but Judge Brown smells a rat and Judge Brown does not allow Jolly West to be the psychiatrist for Jack Ruby. Instead, Ruby is found guilty and sentenced to the electric chair, and every doctor who examined Jack Ruby said he was totally sane. Okay. He gets convicted, he gets sentenced to the electric chair, and under appeal, they bring in Dr. Hubert Winston Smith. And Hubert Winston Smith, ironically named Winston Smith, um, hires... Jolly West to be the chief psychiatrist. Now, Smith, this is a different Smith, is a doctor and a lawyer, uh, not unlike our friend who was involved in the Sirhan case. Uh, so it's a very interesting confluence of events. In fact, the Sirhan case, um, interestingly enough, also Jolly West does not get involved in the Manson trial. It's right in his backyard. It's right in his wheelhouse. It involves mind control. It involves brainwashing. And for reasons that nobody uh, has ever explained, Jolly West is not anywhere near the Manson tra- uh, trial. Hmm. And that might be because he's got his fingerprints all over it, is what be. Yeah, people believe. So anyway, so he wants to get into this um, Jack Ruby case. And Judge Brown won't let him in. So when the case is over and they're, they're filing an appeal, they he gets another doctor, Jack Ruby, and that allows Jolly West to get into the case. And jo- and then it was after that introduction uh, with private sessions that Jack Ruby ends up dying of cancer like rapidly and losing his mind. <laughs> so, you know... And Jolly West was uh, rumored to be connected with the Manson family. MK Ultra, he not rumored, it's a fact. He was a pioneer in MK Ultra. You know, you got to think, what's the next thing, next generation of MK Ultra, but artificial intelligence and robots thinking neuro- neurologically? Um, that's some scary stuff. And once the CIA gets and the FBI gets involved, with that technology, they're going to abuse it just like they did with the Twitter files, just like they did with MK Ultra. Uh, it's only going to get worse. We need to get ahead of this now and put a stop to this deep state, dark money government that we have running the show right now and ruining our lives. Um, but that that is basically our CIA presentation that we can do. Um, and... Uh, Take it for what what it is, and uh, we'll we'll be available on podcasts. Be sure to check out magapack.org, and also uh, be sure to use Red State over at my